0: chapter forty one of the first violin this librivox recording is in the public domain the first violin by jessie fothergill chapter forty one and surely when all this is past they will not want their rest at last on the twenty third of december i will not say how few or how many years after those doings and that violent agitation which my friend griffin may has striven to make coherent in the last chapter i with my great coat on my arm stood waiting for the train which was to bear me ten miles away from the sleepy old musical duke of halbstadt in which i am herzoglicher kapellmeister to rotenfels where i was bidden to spend christmas i had not long to wait having ascertained that my bag was safe in which reposed divers humble proofs of my affections for the friends of the past i looked leisurely out as the train came in for a second-class carriage and very soon found what i wanted i shook hands with an acquaintance and leaned out of the window talking to him till the train started then for the first time i began to look at my fellow-traveller a lady and most distinctly not one of my own countrywomen who whatever else they may excel in emphatically do not know how to clothe themselves for travelling her veil was down but her face was turned toward me and I thought I knew something of the grand sweep of the splendid shoulders and the majestic bearing of the stately form. She soon raised her veil, and, looking at me, said with a grave bow, Herr Helfen, how do you do? Ah, pardon me, the Frau, for the moment I did not recognize you. I hope you are well. Quite well, thank you, said she, with grave courtesy, but I saw that her beautiful face was thin and worn. Her pallor greater than ever she had never been a person much given to mirthfulness, but now she looked as if all smiles had passed for ever from her lips. A certain secret sat upon them, and closed them in an outline, sweet but utterly impenetrable. You are going to Rottenfels, I presume she said, uh, yes, and you also i also somewhat against my will, but I did not want to hurt my sister's feelings it is the first time i have left home since my husband's death i bowed her face did not alter calm sad and stayed whatever storms had once shaken that proud heart they were lulled for ever now two years ago adelaide von francius had buried keen grief and sharp anguish together with vivid hope or great joy with her noble husband whom we had mourned bitterly then whom we yet mourn in our hearts and whom we shall continue to mourn as long as we live may's passionate conviction that he and she should meet again had been fulfilled they had met and each had found the other unchanged and adelaide had begun to yield to the conviction that her sister's love was love pure and simple and not pity since his death she had continued to live in the town in which their married life had been passed a life which for her was just beginning to be happy that is to say she was just learning to allow herself to be happy in the firm assurance of his unutterable love and devotion when the summons came a sharp attack a short illness all over eyes closed lips too silent before her for evermore It has often been my fate to hear criticisms, both on von Francius and his wife, and upon their conduct. This I know, that she never forgave herself the step she had taken in her despair. Her pride never recovered from the burden laid upon it, that she had taken the initiative, had followed the man, whom had said farewell to her. Bad her lot was to be, sad and joyless." whether in its gilded cage or linked with the man whom she loved for to be with whom she had had to pay such a terrible price i have never heard her complain of life in the world yet she can find neither very sweet for she is an extremely proud woman who has made two terrible failures in her affairs von francius before he died made a mark not to be erased in the hearts of his musical compatriots had he lived but that is vain still one feels that one can now but feel that as his widow said to me with matter-of-fact composure he was much more hardly to be spared than such a person as i herr Helfen, if i might have died and left him to enrich and gladden the world i should have felt that i had not made such a mess of everything after all yet she never referred to him as my poor husband or by any of those softening terms by which some people approach the name of a dead dear one all the same we knew quite well that with him life had died for her since his death she and i had been in frequent communication she was editing a new edition for his works for which after his death there had been an instant call it had lately been completed and the music of our former friend shall if i mistake not become in the best and highest sense of the word popular music the people's music i had been her eager and she was pleased to say able assistant in this work we journeyed on through the winter country and i glanced at her now and then at the still pale face which rose above her english-fashioned sealskin and wondered how it was that some faces though never so young and beautiful have written upon them in unmistakable characters the end which one saw upon her face still we talked about all kinds of matters musical private and public i asked if she went out at all I a little concerts with the von Francises, who've been friends of mine ever since I went to live near them, she replied, and the train rolled into the station of Larnbourg. There was a group of faces I knew waiting to meet us. Ah, there is my sister Stella, said Adelaide, in a low voice. How she is altered. And that is May's husband, I suppose. I remember his face now that I see it. We were caught sight of. Four people came crowding round us. "'Eugen,' my eyes fell upon him instantly, "'we grasped hands silently. "'His wife, looking lovelier than ever in her winter furs and feathers, "'a tall boy in a silk-skin cap, "'my Sigmund, who had been hanging on his father's arm, "'and whose eyes welcomed me more volubly than his tongue, "'which was never given to excessive wagging. "'May and Frau von Francius went home in a carriage.' which Sigmund, under the direction of an awful-looking kusher, drove. Stella, Eugen, and I walked to Rotenfels, and they quarrelled, as they always did, while I listened and gave an encouraging word to each in turn. Stella Wedderburn was very beautiful, and after spending a Christmas at Rotenfels, she was going home to be married. Eugen, May, and Sigmund were going too, for the first time since may's marriage graf bruno that year had temporarily abdicated his throne and eugen had been constituted host for the season the guests were his and his wife's the arrangements were his and the entertainment fell to his share grafin hildegarde looked a little amazed at such of her guests for instance as karl Lindis, she had got over the first shock of her seeing me a regular visitor in the house and was pleased to draw me aside on this occasion and inform me that really that young man herr Lindes was presentable quite presentable and never forgot himself he had handed her into a carriage yesterday really quite credibly no doubt it was long friendship with eugen which had given him that extra polish indeed Frau greffen he was always like that it is natural he is very presentable really very but as a friend of eugen's and she smiled condescendingly upon me he would naturally be so in truth karl was karl time had not thinned his flowing locks he was as handsome as impulsive and as true as ever had added two babies to his responsibilities who with his beloved frau had likewise been bidden to this festivity, but had declined to quit the stove and private Christmas tree of home life. He wore no more short jackets now, his sister Gretchen was engaged to a young doctor, and Karl's head was growing higher as it deserved, for it had no mean or shady deeds to bow it the company then consisted in total of graf and grafen von rotenfels who i must record it both looked full ten years younger and better since their prodigal was returned to them of stella wedderburn frau von francius karl linders and friedhelm helfen me as i said looked lovelier than ever it was easy to see that she was the darling of the elder brother and his wife she was a radiant bright creature yet her deepest affections were given to sad people to her husband to her sister adelaide to countess hildegarde she and eugen are well matched it is true he is not a very cheerful man his face is melancholy in his eyes there is a shadow which never wholly disappears lines upon his broad and tranquil brow which are indelible he has honour and titles, and a name clean and high before men, but it was not always so. That terrible bringing to reason, that six years' grinding lesson of suffering, self-suppression, aye, self-effacement, have left their marks, a shadow plain to see, and will never leave him. He is a different man from the outcast who stepped forth into the night with a weight upon him nor ever looked back till it was dried out in darkness to its utmost term he has tasted of the sorrows the self-brought sorrows which make merry men into sober ones the sorrows which test a man and prove his character to be of gold or of dross grave too is the son who is more worshipped by both him and his wife than any of their other children Sigmund von Rodenfels is what outsiders call a strange, incomprehensible child. Seldom smiles, and has no child friends. His friends are his father and his mother May, Mürtchen, he calls her, and it is quaint sometimes to see how on inequalities the three meet and associate. His notions of what is fit for a man to be and do he takes from his father. His ideal woman, I'm sure he has one, would i believe turn out to be a subtle and impossible compound of may and his aunt hildegarde we sometimes speculate as to what he will turn out perhaps the musical genius which his father will not bring before the world in himself may one day astonish that world in sigmund it is certain that his very life seems bound up in the art and in that house and that circle it must be a very caliban or something yet lower which could resist the influence. One day, May, Eugen, Karl, and I repaired to the music room and played together the Fourth Symphony and some of Schumann's Kinderscheinen. But May began to cry before it was over, and the rest of us had thoughts that did lie too deep for tears thoughts of that far back afternoon of Carnival Monday, and how we made a sunshine in a shady place, of all that came before and after between me and eugen there has never come a cloud nor the faintest shadow of one built upon days passed together in storm and sunshine weal and woe good report and evil report our union stands upon a firm foundation of that nether rock of friendship perfect trust perfect faith love stronger than death which makes a peace in our hearts a mighty influence in our lives, which very truly passeth understanding. The end. End of the first violin by Jessie Fothergill.